From VinePair's New York City headquarters, this is End of Day Drinks, where we sit down with the movers and shakers in the beverage industry. So pour yourself a glass and listen along with us. Let's start the show. On today's episode, we talk with Sam Calagio about Dogfish Head's newest beer, Hazio, their fastest growing beer, Sequench, and the story behind 60-Minute IPA and how the beer owes its entire invention to a tabletop football game. We'll also hear Sam's thoughts on how it's gotten harder and harder in the craft beer industry to find, white space. And finally, Sam tells us what he thinks about the whole hard seltzer craze and whether or not there is a hard seltzer in Dogfish Head's future. Let's get started. Take it away, Kat. Everybody, I am Kat Walensky, editor at Vine Pair, and I am extremely excited to be joined today by Dogfish Head co-founder, craft beer pioneer, and all-around awesome champion of the craft beer universe, Sam Calagione. And this is Vine Pair's first episode of EOD Drinks. So since this is our, our first one, I'll introduce everyone now. We have some of the Vine Pair team here with me. That is Fine Pair CEO Adam Teeter. Say hello. What's up, Kat? Hey, Sam. Our hello. staff writer Tim McCurdy. Hi, Kat. Hi, Sam. How's it going? Good. And our editorial associate Katie Brown. Hey, guys. How are you? We're great. I'm so excited. Sam, say hello. Hello, Vine Pair team. And good to be back in touch with you, Kat. I'm a big fan of what you guys do. It was cool to see. You. The story you just did on my buddy Holly at Guinness. She runs the brewery there in Baltimore. So oh, thank you guys yeah. for all your evangelism on behalf of all of us little craft spirit beer and winemakers. Hey, it's what we do. I didn't know you knew Holly. That's awesome. Yep. Very cool. So you've got a lot going on right now. You have a new beer coming out, Hazy O, which I know a lot of us are interested to hear more about and taste. You have a book coming out, the Dogfish Head book. 25 years of hop-centered adventures. And you've also sent us a pretty great lineup of beers here today. We have Slightly Mighty, the Locale IPA. We've got 60 Minute, the OG, Hazio, and of course, Sequench, which is now the top-selling sour beer in the United States. So what's going on? Do you want to taste through these? Do you want to go in any particular order? I kind of thought this was a cool cross-section of like dogfish had beers through time. Yeah. 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 I let you, you choose, you choose, you guys choose the direction. First, I want to also just say I'm honored to be your inaugural guest. Give me your guys vision for this sweet podcast concept and where you're going with it. Yeah. So <laughs> the way that we imagined this, this was like, we've invited you into our office, the Vine Pair HQ in New York city. You came and, you know, brought some beers to taste with us and we're kind of just hanging out, talking through the beers, hearing about how the business is going and, you know, having a grand old time. Our fireside chat. Awesome, so. Yeah, fireside chat or, fire. you know, an IPA side chat, something Love like it. that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we should jump in with 60 Minute. Let's do it. Let's do it. I don't know what people are... Uh, situated with here but i've got all the beers in front of me ready to go so let's hear that let's hear that gorgeous pavlovian sound you guys ready ready? oh yeah knows the water music to my ears (laughs) 
So you guys want me to just kind of riff on the kind of inception of this beer, or where do you want me to start? Well, yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, go for it. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of history and story to tell about this, so I am yeah. I'm curious so I'll, to hear how, how it's doing now as well. But go for sweet. it. So, so uh, yeah, I'll say that it's kind of ironic that it's still our best-selling beer. There's two beers we'll talk about later that are potentially on a path to eclipse it, but. Uh, you know, we opened Dogfish when we did in 95. We had the dubious distinction of being literally the smallest craft brewery in America. There are about 800 breweries in America when we opened. Uh, flash forward to now, and there's over 8,000, which is pretty incredible. Um, and when, I, when, we, when I wrote the business plan for Dogfish, the first page said we will be, Dogfish Head's committed to being uh, the first commercial brewery in America that will make the majority of our beers outside the Rhine Heights boat using uh, culinary ingredients and away we went making, you know, chicory stout with chicory and coffee and apricot, which I think was the first distributed fruit, uh, IP, fruited IPA and raison d'etre with raisins. But around 99 or 2000, um, you know, I was watching a chef show about adding spice to uh, a, a soup and the, the chef was talking about if he took cracked peppers and little pinches of it the entire time the, the soup simmered and just added it incrementally continually that the, the, the flavor and sort of complexity nuances of the pepper would be woven in with, with you know in a more impressive way on, for a sensory experience and I said oh maybe I can apply that to brewing where traditionally you know beers get hot twice once early for bitterness once late for aroma and so I went and found this like vibrating football game in a in a uh, in a Salvation Army and I kind of <laughs> MacGyvered it together with some two by fours and a big old perforated bucket and filled it with pelletized hops and kind of angled the, the football game over my boil kettle trying to make it so that one hop hit, one pelletized hop hit the beer the entire 90 minutes uh, that it boiled and that's how 60 minute and 90 minute were born so the, the concept is when you continually dose an IPA for the entire boil. There's no aroma hop. There's no bittering hop. There's no end hop. It's all uh, evenly distributed. It makes for an IPA that's, you know, impressively hoppy without being crushingly bitter. You know, it doesn't have the lingering bitterness that I, it would have had if I added that same volume of hops in the two big traditional, you know, additions, one early, one late. Right. And it has this nuance that, you know, you, you taste it through the beer. Uh, like you said, it's not just like totally upfront in the aroma or completely bittering the beer. And for those who don't know or haven't been in a brewery, what he is describing with this football game and like having a pellet at a time or whatever the measurement was go into this beer, that is very hard to do. And it's just a ridiculous image to even think about, especially to then see the guy that's doing that become, you know, one of the most famous brewers in the world um, and one of the most successful breweries in the country so it's a crazy year thanks for saying that kev i'm proud to say i think the machine's now more famous than i am is pretty cool last year (laughs) that that original you know vibrating football game jalopy that we built got uh um acquired and is now part of the permanent collection of the smithsonian so it's under the same roof as you know the wright brothers plane and the and the apollo capsule rocket so that's something that really uh warms our heart that it was considered you know such an american invention uh and we're really proud we're really proud of that distinction that's a question for you um sorry it's adam here cat i'm just gonna jump in sure um i mean they say you know obviously that uh you know copycatting is the, is the most sincere form of flattery. 
uh, obviously in beer, we see a lot of brewers copy what each other have done, right? I mean, there's pages all over the place now. Did other brewers sort of start copying this trend and this technique once you created 60 Minute? And are there other beers out there like it? Because I feel like I've never seen another beer like, you know, 60, 90 in one point. Um, but maybe it's just because they're not explaining that they're using the same technique. But I feel like these beers are so unique and delicious. Um, but maybe you know something that I don't. Yeah, I mean, we did we did a show on the Discovery Channel. Yeah, I had a series called Brewmasters. I don't know, like twelve or fifteen I years that show. ago. All right, I all right. It. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. And it aired in a bunch of different countries. So in that era, and when we showed the the vibrating football game, I think in one of the episodes. So someone did bring me a sixty M beer from from China. Uh, soon after that what? aired, and it said, made by two crazy guys in China, we continue to hop the beer. And so that was kind of interesting to find that. We knew there was no way we were going to stop them from making that. So we just said, okay, I guess that's flattering. But Adam, to your point, yeah, we've seen other breweries talk about adding hops in equal regiments over the course of the whole boil. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, the, the term continual hopping, we've been able to kind of keep our own. And the process of doing it where we do, where we've created our, now our fourth generation continual hopping machine, the technology is definitely unique to us, but the premise, you know, has been adopted in, in different variations from, from, from by different breweries as well. Right. And you see this happen in other, other like brewery equipment and tech, like Sierra Nevada's, uh, what was it called? The Hop, Hop Torpedo. Hop Torpedo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, each brewery kind of has their own proprietary mechanism that they, you know, MacGyver themselves. And it's cool to see that, actually. And I know that, Sam, you're all about, you know, a rising tide, raising all ships. Um, and that these innovations kind of morph and change and, and kind of make the industry better overall. Yeah, and to Adam's point earlier, it, it is harder and harder to find white space, you know, in an industry where we started with 700 competitors, roughly, and now there's over 8,000. And moreover, you know, in the mid-90s to late 90s, we were kind of the only commercial brewery focused on utilizing culinary ingredients, you know, in beer, and it wasn't considered cool back then. We took a lot of shit. We'd go to festivals, and people would be like, hey, asshole, why'd you put coffee in your stout? That's disrespectful to the style and so it took some time before not only were we was it recognized as a positive that we were kind of breaking out of the jail of just four four ingredients but that other other breweries adopted that that broader definition of beer which is awesome globally you know because american beer used to be the laughing stock internationally when it was all just you know you know generic sort of monolithic light lager and other countries like yeah american beer culture sucks but you know, the American craft brewing renaissance changed that. And now we're kind of, you know, uh, recognized as kind of a pill pillars for creativity. And that's great, but it means now everyone's innovating in 360 direct degrees with different ingredients. So it is more challenging to find white space. And we can talk about that as we talk through the, the four beers tonight, because it's still the most fun part of the job, you know, is finding that white space for, for me as a creative brewer is more joyful, frankly, than thinking about the scale of, of the, how, what we've grown to. Yeah, you talk about white space. I feel like I wanted to go to Slightly Mighty next, but now I think we just have to jump into Hazio. Oh, because... really? Good. You're driving this bus, sister. You're, you're driving this bus. I really want to wait stop. until the end, but I'm like, let's just get in there. Okay, culinary ingredients, yes. You've used everything from chicory to chocolate to coffee to lobsters. 
it's, you know, there's nothing you haven't put in a beer, probably. And now this one, Hazy O, is made with oat milk. Is that yeah. correct? And not only yeah. oat milk, but oats in pretty much every form. So there's malted oats, rolled oats, naked oats, and oat milk. Indeed, yeah, and when we're talking about finding white space, you know, we've, we've been doing like hazy style non-filtered IPAs for well over a decade. We did a beer called Squall with a clothing company that I no longer, that. Yeah. Oh, do you nice, back when 750 mil bottles sold in the beer world. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I remember that, I have, I have like a memory of that bottle, drinking that on a, on a beach, on a dock. Yeah, all right, that's a yeah. great memory. Um, and, and so, but you know, we've never made a hazy like part of our core portfolio, because frankly, we didn't feel, we, we're, we're a brewery, there's really two different models for, you know, not just breweries, you know, spirit producers or wineries, really any CPG company was kind of the, the pioneering model where you tr you take risks and do something that haven't been done before, again, trying to find white space, or there's sort of the fast follower model where you build a company that's really good at identifying trends from smaller companies and then using your scales and, and resources to, to beat them at, at something that they, you know, innovated, but you can commercialize better. And Dogfish has always been the, the more of the pioneering model, which Sometimes it means you, you fuck up and, and the things you think might be interesting uh, aren't sustainable. But, you know, sometimes you find a white space that is really, you know, sustainable. And obviously the hazy IPA category, it's now the fastest growing beer category in America. And for context, year to date, hazy IPAs are growing at 97% year to date. The Ooh. fastest growing uh, alcohol segment is seltzer. Uh, growing at about roughly twice that, which is about 200% year to date, you know, mostly with White Claw and Truly. But yeah. uh, oat milk is growing 303% uh, year to date. Uh, and uh, so it really is kind of our hazy O kind of sits in the sweet spot between this better for you trend of people leaning out of dairy milk and into, uh, you know, plant-based milks. And, and it's a it's a, it's something that I mostly gleaned off of sort of the barista culture and, and going into places that take coffee really seriously and watching mm -hmm. them, you know, prioritize oat milk on, on what it gives for body and creaminess and silkiness in a, a relatively bitter product, right? Coffee. And I was like, maybe this would be something really cool to bring into the world of, of hazy IPAs because a big component of most hazy IPAs is malted oats, you know? Right. Uh, or or unmalted oaks, and that's what gives haze. So oats, the idea of using oats in a hazy is absolutely not new, but the fact that we're combining all four of these formats and working, you know, directly with this really, you know, pioneering oat milk company that has their own, you know, unique process uh, called Elmhurst, right down the road from you, your guys' HQ in New York, yeah. uh, really, really makes a difference in this beer. Yeah. So what do you guys think? You got it in front of you. I yeah. drunk it a lot. I wanted oh, to wait oh. so I could do my crackle oh. sound. Oh, go, 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 go. I'll be quiet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hazy O. Here we go. Um, something we were talking about in the office, or I guess our virtual offices together recently was, you know, why oat milk and like, which, which came first, the hazies or the oats? Like, there's so many, uh, like you said, oats are a component in, in hazy IPAs and hazy beers for a while. So like, is it is it the oats in the beer that kind of helps oat milk become more popular or is it oat milk is gonna make this beer more popular or is it just like a whole? 
Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I never thought of that. Yeah, like a chicken and the egg type of, type of thing. You know, I think the oat milk trend is definitely, you know, rate is just part of the be- the better for you, you know, trend and with consumers kind of prioritizing ingredients that are, you know, are, are what they perceive as have a better few uh, component of them. Um, and so I think that that trend was kind of on its own trajectory, you know, it, it, you know, in parallel with the hazy IPA trend is how I would say it. Yeah, I, I think so too. These, these parallel universes have collided and hazy O exclamation points. <laughs> so I have a, I have a quick question for you, uh, yep. Sam. We talked about this too. So I've got the beer in front of me. Um, you know, what was the business decision to go with the sticker can? So obviously oh. you guys, you know, it's, you know, obviously Dogfish recently sold to Sam Adams and uh, you guys obviously could have done a shrink wrap can, I assume, but you went with or the sticker can. Is there a reason? Is it because so many of the other hazies are that way or or do we have a prototype can and it's going to look differently when it goes into market? I'm curious. No, no, no. Good question. Really, it was uh, speed to market. Adam. Like, so we have a small canning line at our Rehoboth Beach brewery and that's where the samples we sent you are from and that one since it's small scale we want to be really you know dexterous and and make make quick quick decisions on rd batches that we want to launch so we launch hazy o in the 16 ounce that has the paper label but you're right by the time we send sell the batches coast to coast it'll be in 12 ounce fully wrapped you know uh artwork on the actual can so what you guys are you guys are among the first people in the country outside of delaware to try this beer right now it's only being sold in these 16 ounce four packs uh from the brewer sam and i have a question for you here as well kind of related to that so um you were speaking about kind of innovation the whole way through and that seems like a thread that really um links together all of your products uh as you've grown as a brand do you find that it's harder to be kind of that dexterous and and quick to market with things and as someone who is or sounds like an innovator is that frustrating maybe oh man yeah that's actually a good good question tim and i'll go back to you know adam you're right we dogfish and, and boston beer merged last year and so we now have dogfish we have sam adams we have uh, Angry Orchard, uh, Twisted Tea, and Truly are kind of our family of brands. And our company is actually, I, I feel more more uh, risk excited than risk adverse, uh, even combined than we ever are, ever were. I think it's in part because we have, you know, resources and 10 different retail locations. So our big breweries can be like, you know, Fine Point making the, the, the Monet's and and the, the Renoirs, while our little tiny 10-barrel systems in New York and Delaware and California can be, like, throwing shit at the wall and, like, Jackson Pollocking on a small, small stage. So we, so we try to embrace risk in, in, in as aggressively as possible, but do it, uh, with, with, you know, on a small scale so they're manageable scale risks. So that's why we have the small canning line at our small brewery and obviously a much bigger canning line once we've proven out a concept and we want to take it nationally. I'm also curious, Sam, how much crossover is there between Dogfish Head and Boston Beer, whether it's Sam Adams or Twisted Tea or any of the other uh, Boston brands? Um, a ton, you know, for, for me personally, you know, with, with the merger, I probably 
still I'm sort of quote unquote still the owner of the dogfish brand identity, but another part of my job title is working on innovation and collaboration uh, projects with our whole family of brands. So I'd say I'm uh, after dogfish being maybe 60 or 70 percent of my, my my work time. I'm working a lot on the Truly brand and Sam Adams. Sam Adams and Truly, I would say. Uh, I'm working with the most, and then we're actually opening a dogfish in Miami in February. So that's taken a lot yes. of my time, COVID willing. That's our opening target date. So that's another project that's uh, heavy, heavy, heavy in our workload right now. Yeah, I forgot to mention the the new brewery. It's um, in Wynwood, correct? Yeah, in the that, Art District. Yeah, and maybe super we'll, cool. We like drink Sequench. Well, yeah, when we drink sequench, we can talk, we can circle back because okay. fruited, fruited sours are very popular down there. So we can circle back on the brewery. Yeah, actually, when we something, drink uh, huh? I, I'm ready to move on. Is anybody else? Uh... No, I mean, I, I think I want to talk about sequench because uh, I think yeah. you've alluded to, to some stuff we talk about a lot at, at Vine Pair. Um, yes. Sam, and that's kind of like this idea of the health halo. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you're talking a lot about like wellness and with the oat milk and things like that. And I, like sequence is like one of these beers that speaks to people in that way, right? It, you know, you feel good about yourself when you drink it, if that makes sense, right? Like you don't feel guilty. It, it has some of these qualities about it that, you know, makes you feel like, oh, you, you could drink it after working out or whatever. Was that intentional? Um, did you did you mean to hit that market? Because I feel like that's a market that's really embraced this beer. And I would assume this is your fastest growing beer behind 60 Minute. I know you also alluded to that um, in, in the top of the of the program when you said that you think there are some beers that could catch 60 minute is yep. this one of those yep um, i'd say slightly mighty and sequench we could see potentially you know being on a on a trajectory that could eclipse 60 minute you know the ver the, the verdicts out on hazy o because we haven't even launched it yet but those are kind of our four core beers and we're, we're glad they're so complementary and differentiated from each other but yeah and adam as you, as you guys as everyone on this on this uh podcast knows as a brewer, uh, we have to walk a really fine line and be careful how we present our beers. In other words, the federal government is, is uh, very much interested to make sure producers of alcohol don't make health claims in association with their products. But, you know, that said, we Dogfish has been focused on this sort of better for you, call it a active lifestyle might be a better uh, nuanced way to say it. Uh, since we started doing Namaste, our yoga-themed white beer, well over a decade ago, and what we when we released that beer, uh, you know, we started getting a lot of uh, you know non-beer drinkers uh, excited about it. We would do these pints and poses yoga happy hours, but we also started getting a lot of folks that had left craft beer and gone like to Mick Ultra and stuff. Frankly, because they're, they're they got to a certain age that you know their metabolism slowed down, they started getting a beer belly, and they started saying, "Hey, I'm I'm coming back to craft with with lower ABV ABV beers like your Namaste," and that kept us kind of going further down that journey. You know, like five or six years ago, coming out with Sequench Ale uh, that's high in sea salts and black black limes and lime juice and stuff like that, and then slightly mighty as the original locale IPA is certainly I think in that active lifestyle space as well. And now AZO, you know, leaning into oat milk is certainly in that active lifestyle space as well. So I think dogfish having always had this culinary, you know, uh, raison d'etre or, or, or touchstone in our creative process, it, it it's evolved into a, a focus on active lifestyle orientation around 
culinary ingredients that are associated with active lifestyle, but still we need, we're st we still are every step away very respectful of the federal government's expectations that it's not about health claims, it's about celebrating the natural culinary ingredients in our beers. And are there any, um, any of your beers that you can point to that maybe have surprised you that the, the profile would be like so widely accepted? I guess I'm asking because like, I find this sequential to be delicious. I love sour beers. And I always wondered like, to what extent do maybe just casual beer drinkers around the country really enjoy sours or, or how maybe feel challenged by them? And would you say that's something that surprised you or any other beers that have really taken off that maybe you didn't feel like they would in the beginning? No, this, the sour cup style tim's an awesome one for us to have this conversation on the point that you're bringing yeah. up around because you know dogfish began doing sour beers almost 20 years ago with uh, festina uh, lente which then became festina pesh and when we first sent it out to our distributors uh i think 25 percent of it got sent back to us where the distributors and retailers were like hey asshole your your beer went sour we're like, no, 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 we, we wanted it to be sour. And that was like 12 or 13 years ago. And, and flash forward to the day and think of how many breweries, you know, just in the greater New York area are making fruited sours or session sours. And you can see how far the style has come. And I know you guys often cover, you know, the intersection between the world of beverages and the world of food. And I think one of sours selling points is, that essentially they're, they're generally, whether it's a goze base, a Berliner base, or you know, a true wild ale, like a Lambic base, they're all, they all share that they're relatively low in IBUs, which is how us brewers you know, calibrate bitterness from hops. And for example, Sequent Ale is roughly the same hop uh, load as you know, Miller Lite. You know, it's not a hoppy beer. And I think the average consumer, when you think of today, uh, almost 50% of craft beer that's sold is something in the IPA category. And yet, as ubiquitous as craft beer seems, less than 15% of, of beer drinkers are drinking craft beer. So when people are getting turned on to craft, if 50% of them are some version of an IPA, that is the entry lane often into craft. Whereas a beer like a, beer like a, a, a Session Sour, like Sequench, it has such a low hopping regimen that it can not only appeal to a beer geek, and that's a term, you know, term of endearment, someone who already knows and loves sour beers like me, but it can appeal to a minerally Pinot Gris drinker. It can appeal to a margarita drinker, right? Because the, uh, the big flavors are coming from the lime and the salt. So yeah, I think sour is a great place to take craft beer out of the, 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 the stereotypical hophead niche and bring it to mm -hmm. a broader audience of cocktail lovers and white wine lovers especially. Yeah, I can totally agree with that. Having worked in a beer shop as well and, you know, serving beer to people that would come in uh, just sort of confused and overwhelmed. And a lot of people do start like have that entry point as a sour beer because they are a wine drinker and there are some similar um, flavor profiles there. And this, it is interesting that like, I wouldn't think of Dogfish Head as a sour beer brewery. You know, it's, there's just, so many other things that that you do that I would be reaching for, whether it's IPAs or otherwise. Um, and I guess it shows, <laughs> Kat, to, to build on your point, and you know, it, it's awesome to see that you know there's tons of you know thousands of breweries making sours. Um, 
today. Um, but and actually on a percentage growth basis, year to date, sours are growing faster than IPAs. Granted, on a much smaller base, so the percentage looks big on a small base. But there's no American craft brewer, great ones like Sierra Nevada or New Belgium or whatever. Um, there's no IPA-centric craft brewer that has more than like 10 or 15% market share of IPAs. But Dogfish has over, I think, 51% share of the sour beer market in Sequench, which shows, mm-hmm. it shows, you know, that it is a relatively small uh, segment. We're obviously very proud to be the market leader, but it also is really encouraging to see how many consumers and brewers are interested in getting this fast growing, but still small segment. I never would have known that. That's insane. It is. Yeah. It's crazy because yeah. uh, it's not like another sour beer or another Goza. I mean, there's something about it that is clearly hitting the mark in multiple ways that could make it so like so outstanding in in these, you know, these stats that we have now, it's like, I think it is really the the salty sour, the margarita, like the Pinot Grigio. Hmm. Um, there's something about the beer that was, it seems like very intentional. I mean, I'm curious what the R and D looked like for this, and how you decided on a session sour to be this very particular and like fairly complicated recipe. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, we, you guys have the packaging in front of you, and and you know, we 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 our rallying cry has always been off-centered ales for off-centered people, and we, like I said, we try not to copy, we try to innovate. Um, but when when you're doing these beers that you want to be really sessionable and approachable and appeal to a broad amount of people, but they have the complexity and nuances and wider range of ingredients than most beers and that are out there that we feel that the packaging and the naming of the beers has to do a lot of heavy lifting to tell the story about what not, not only differentiates them, but why someone should take a risk and try it. So in the case of sequench ale, that name does a lot of heavy lifting, right? The first word is C because uh, it's made with sea salt. It's, it's phonetically speaking to the fact that it's actually three styles of beer uh, brewed, boiled separately, and then blended in sequence, which is we do and so basically we brew, we brew a Kolsch first and we grow the yeah. yeast in the Kolsch because that's a very yeast friendly, low acid environment that the yeast loves to grow in. And then once the yeast is really healthy and just the Kolsch on top of the Kolsch, we bring in a thread of uh, Goza made with sea salt off the, you know, harvested off the coast of Maine and from uh, the, the mouth of the Chesapeake. And then on top of that third thread, uh, we bring in uh, a, a thread of Berliner Weiss made with black limes, which are culinary limes from from the Middle East, and uh, lime juice as well. So it's three beers brewed in sequence uh, that that, are, that has sea salt, black limes, and, and lime juice in it. And I think the softness that you get in it compared to other, you know, more acidic sours comes from mm-hmm. the fact that we start with that nice, clean, non-acidic Kolsch base in the brewing process. Interesting, because it is so soft. And like very easy to drink. Um, some some of us even at Vine Pair have some trouble <laughs> drinking a lot of sour beers. Take beers. your tums, take your tums before oh, your, your journey. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I always have them in reach, um, just in case. But I don't need it with with you. It's good. Yeah, no, so I guess that English major of yours uh, finally came in handy then, Sam. Figuring out that? a name like that. That the English major finally came in handy. Yeah, and I, I, I'm, I'm guessing there's a, there'll be other brewers 
tuning into this and I know they can commiserate with how hard it is now to find an ownable name. Yeah. You know, when there's 8,000 breweries, we all play that same buzzed roulette at night when we think we got an awesome idea and we <laughs> enter that name into the Google machine with the word beer after it and we hit send and then we, you know, cross our fingers and they're like, oh, fuck, there's a little brewery in Spokane that already thought of it. You know? Right, yeah. I do hear about that a lot, actually. Like, you're searching on Google, you're looking at untapped. Um, usually it... It's not, there's an issue, it resolves in a friendly phone call, but sometimes there's a little more drama. Amen. So, so Sam, I, I have to call you out a little bit on something. Go ahead. Um, and that is when you were, so the, I mean, you, like you were an early, early supporter of Vine Pair. I mean, I remember you coming to, to the offices when we were still in a WeWork. Um, yeah, I do, just remember. Gosh and I. Um, I do remember. But I remember it was, it was at the time when, uh, you know, session IPAs were all the rage, and I asked you if Dogfish Head was ever going to do one. You told me 60 Minute is a session IPA. Yeah. And I mean, you were joking, <laughs> but now you do kind of have one with Slightly Mighty. Um, yeah. Obviously, you're calling more locale. So, what was the, when did that process change um, from, you know, seven years ago meeting with us and we were to sort of realizing or thinking about doing this? It's definitely different, right, than yeah, session yeah. IPAs at that moment, for sure. I can 100% admit that. But I'm no, curious, you're totally like, right. I totally remember, and, and I remember that because we all, I, our rallying cry back then was 60 minute is the session IPA for non wussies is what we used to yes. say because it's six percent okay. alcohol but drinks very approachable. But you're right. You know, when we we, we have always been a beer that brewed a brewery that's brewed beer with a broad spectrum of uh, ABVs. You know, we 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 did the first Imperial IPA. I think that was distributed in America with 90 minute in terms of the first to have the word Imperial uh, on, on a label. Uh, and we we were certainly known for a, a number of the stronger beers that we've done. But right from the beginning, we were doing chicory stout at five percent shelter pale ale. But yeah, when when the session IPA started coming out, we're like, oh, that's cool. And watching some breweries around the country have success with that, we were happy for them. And we're like, all right, that's cool. But we can't really find a white space in there. There's some breweries doing some nice things, and we're not going to step on their coattail uh, but then about six or seven years ago when we were listening to people say oh you know I, I used to drink craft beer but I went back to Mick Ultra we, we, we gave ourselves an internal challenge and I, I do you know I do think of ABI as the world's biggest competitor um, you know against you know craft but my hat's off to them for what they've done with Mick Ultra they've grown a great sustainable brand built on you know a that sort of active lifestyle platform. And so we challenged ourselves and, and we said, let's let's brew a beer that has the exact same calorie count as McUltra, but let's try and figure out a way to make it taste like a full flavored IPA. And to Adam, to your point, they're, they're session IPAs may be you know, perceived uh, you know, as similar to low cal, but it's actually really a, a, a fairly different uh, proposition. For example, hats mm -hmm. off to founders. I think they have the best selling uh, you know, session IPA that says that style, call it on the label with all day IPA. But I think they're at about 142 calories per 12 ounce. Whereas, you know, our slightly mighty is uh, exactly same calories as, as McUltra 95. So where did we find the white space there? Well, you know, whether it's slightly mighty or Coors Light or Bud Light, the, 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 the practice, the, tech, the, the technical approach to making a beer that's low in, super low in calories that has the best 
ratio of lowest calories to alcohol, higher alcohol. It comes from using natural enzymes that break down complex sugars. So yeast can eat every bit of available sugar. And that's really effective for making a beer low, low cal. But it usually when, when sugar is all taken out by the yeast, that's what makes a beer have very low body, right? When you hear people, you know, maligning, you know, uh, light lagers, they say, oh, that's watery. You know, it doesn't have any body. It's watery. So our breakthrough is we use that exact same natural enzyme process as those big breweries I mentioned. But then we add back in uh, a Chinese extract of monk fruit which is, you know, over a hundred times as sweet as table sugar per ounce, but has no calories. So in essence, it becomes a skeleton inside of Slightly Mighty, which gives it a body onto which we can pack a real hop musculature. So when you drink it, it tastes like a full flavored IPA, but it has the 95 calories. So and then with that skeleton and, and muscly body, you can, you can achieve that by drinking Slightly Mighty, right? Instead of a regular IPAs. We are not making health claims here. We are not making health claims here. <laughs> I will say that, again, the name works really hard, right? It's a beer that's slight in calories and, and yeah. mighty in hop character. Yeah, that's great. And uh, the monk fruit, wasn't that in another session beer? Or, you know, low elk or low cal, the Super 8? Uh, we didn't use monk fruit. We had eight super fruits in there and oh, some okay. sort of grains in there. But I, I will say again, you know, ours was the first beer with a label that called out the low-cal IPA style uh, to be released really? in America. Wow. And I know there's, you know, obviously dozens and dozens that have come out since Slightly Mighty. So again, that tells us we, we, we found the white space that we wanted to and, and having other folks enter that category that we started only gives that category more validity and gives the consumer, you know, more choices, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I just, I was wondering, cause you had mentioned earlier, um, obviously the, the popularity of spiked seltzer or hard seltzers right now is major. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if this was kind of your way into that market with like a similar calorie count as some of the top selling hard seltzers actually is you know, 95 calories, whereas I think White Claw and Truly are both 100, right? So yeah. do you think you're kind of dipping into that market with this? I think you're right, Katie, that I think for, for better or worse, that 100-ish threshold and staying in, you know, at or below 100 is a area that consumers are now, you know, you know, interested in, uh, or I should say a big fraction of consumers are interested in that on their on their drinking journey so i do think you know slightly mighty is is intentionally calling out the locale literally in the style call out the locale and i do think like like we talked about with with hazy o and sequence and sequence they're all part of that active lifestyle better for you space albeit they each have their own lane that they're in you know hazy o at seven abv is nowhere near 95 calories like slightly mighty but that's an oat milk point of differentiation, whereas, you know, with sequench also somewhere around 130, 140 calories, but that's a sea salt, black lime, lime juice, uh, you know, uh, point of differentiation. So they, they each are unique, but you're right. I think that they're all kind of in that active lifestyle, better for you space that in some ways, mostly because of calorie count, not because of culinary ingredients, uh, the seltzers are in as well. What do you guys okay. think? Well, I get this brain trust of beverage uh, experts, do you guys think seltzer 
is on a on a on a trajectory that you know it'll be you know the the biggest thing in beer for years to come do you think it'll <laughs> it'll slow down i'm sure this isn't the first time you guys have talked about this yes uh we think i, I think i can speak for all of us when i say we see hard seltzer sticking around for quite a while uh, and just becoming more and more like beer in terms of its creativity and trends i'll let tim speak to that because he actually wrote a really great feature on this recently so tim take it yeah, away please do tim <laughs> Sure. No, I thank you for your kind words, Kat. Um, yeah, I'm definitely of the opinion that hard seltzer is here to stay, or at least for a long time. Um, not sure quite how long that will be, but you know, I don't think it's going anywhere fast anytime soon. And one thing, you know, looking at seltzer a lot for pieces that I've worked on, one thing that struck me, and this wasn't an idea that I came up with, so I don't want to take credit for this. But I was speaking with a hard seltzer producer uh, at the beginning of this year, and their opinion was that the hard seltzer category itself is probably going to evolve in the same way that beer has, but maybe kind of at an accelerated pace. So you have like these three, maybe four market leaders um, that are probably always going to have the majority of the share, truly being one of them. Um, and then the rest of the space, you probably have this market that that sort of looks in a way like craft beer does now. And that craft beer or craft hard seltzer, I should say, even just this year, we've, we've really seen it evolve. So um, I've been lucky enough to try some very weird innovations and kind of like uh, barrel aged hard seltzer. And I see people doing like higher ABV ones, uh, some producers doing like imperial hard seltzer. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to see the category evolve like that. And then I guess on the other end of the spectrum as well, looking at some brands this year have brought out like seasonal releases. So whether that's like peppermint patty or tried my first pumpkin spice hard seltzer. So I guess for like this category to really, I mean, you could maybe say it's five or six years old, but really we're talking one or two years since the, uh, the famous summer of a certain brand. <laughs> um, so yeah. Like, I think it's just incredible to, to watch that evolution play out sort of parallel to what we've seen with beer, but at this really increased speed. Um, I'm not sure is that something you've seen as well, Sam, or anyone else wants to kind of add to that or challenge me on that. Yeah, I think that, I think he's, Tim's completely right that that's where we're going. Um, I also think, you know, you're going to start seeing, I think Tim, Tim, you and I have talked about this, uh, that you're going to see basically the seltzers that continue to win are the ones that kind of come out as, as their own individual brands. Um, I feel like, you know, some of these, you know, the, the ABIs that are literally just Bud Light seltzer and stuff, I actually think is diluting their overall brand equity. Um, and the only reason they're doing that is either because they just think that it's going to replace Bud Light in the future, which I guess it could, um, or they aren't creative enough to come up with another brand. <laughs> um, because, you know, the, the brands that are winning are like the White Claws and the Trulies of the world that are their own things that represent their own things to their consumer. Um, so I don't know, but I do think it is here to stay for a very specific use case and for, you know, what people want. Um, but we'll see. I think it's interesting uh, as well to see in the, the craft world where craft beer or craft brewers are getting into this. There Many are also using a different name for their hard seltzers, but I feel like that might be a different reason rather than branding maybe it's more of a kind of 
street cred kind of thing. I'm not sure, but I definitely see that play out, whereas you don't see the same kind of Bud Light seltzer shamelessness. <laughs> totally. The question on everyone's minds now, will Dogfish Head do a seltzer? Yeah, yeah. So, I'll, you know, I agree, Tim, that, you know, seltzers are going to continue to fragment, fragment and, uh, you know, we are, we actually, because we have the Truly base at our disposal, so we're playing around in our own properties, and, you know, we have what we think is a pretty well, you know, differentiated seltzer concept, but, you know, to your point, Adam, I don't know that it'll ever see national uh, distribution, time will tell, people are dig digging it now, uh, but we'll, we'll see if we're going to distribute it broadly someday. So before we wrap up, Sam, I was just wondering, of the four beers that we've been talking about today, which of them are your current go-to? Which of them are you reaching for, you know, after this is over and you're just relaxing? Oh, so, yeah, I mean, that's like, of course, asking to choose a child. And, uh, but there are certain <laughs> Everyone has children. a favorite. <laughs> yeah, Everyone children. does. Yeah, come on. And sometimes I want to hang out with one more than the other, but uh, love them both. Uh, so, no, I would say, you know, literally in, the, in my 25-year history as a brewer at Dogfish. I've never drunk a beer in volume in a short time the way I drink Sequench. It's like my I, I, it's like my lifeblood is Sequench Ale. And I'd say right yeah. now I'm drink, drinking the heck out of Hazy O because, uh, you know, we're obviously just starting to launch that one. And, you know, we're doing the small batches in Rehoboth. So I'm really interested in each batch and trying each new one that comes out as we get ready to launch that nationally. So right now Sequench number one and uh, Hazy O number two. Can I, can I just say as well, uh, yeah. just one, one last comment from, from myself, a uh, 60 minute IPA might not be the only thing ever that's been inspired by soup, but I'm guessing it's probably the best thing that's been inspired by soup in history. So <laughs> well said, I don't, I don't know what Tim, to you've say. You've been sitting on that comment. I've been man. sitting you on that. Like, I hate soup. <laughs> that's so good. Since, at least since the paintings of Andy Warhol, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so sequence is basically Warhol, yeah. Yeah. No, not sixty minutes. I mean, it's not, yeah, sixty minutes. Yeah. Come on, cat. How many of these beers have you had now? <laughs> had four. We've all had four. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep it together. All right. So, Sam. Thank you so, so much for joining us for our first EOD drinks episode. This was a lot of fun. And I guess let us know on the way out, where can people get your beers? Where can they buy the book? And when is Hazio launching? Oh, yeah. So again, guys, this means a lot to me. I got to be with two pairs of vine pairs, all for you. This has been super, <laughs> super fun for me, believe me. Uh, you know, long time fan, first time caller, all that stuff. And all, 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 all the goodies about Dogfish can be found at dogfish.com, including our book, which is coming out uh, uh, December uh, 22nd. And then, yeah, Hazio starts shipping coast to coast right after the haul, right after the new year. It'll be coast to coast everywhere, you know, that we sell our beer by, by Feb 1, but it starts shipping in early Jan. Uh, but if anyone can safely get to us in Delaware, COVID. Uh, regulations do apply, but AZO is alive and well and already selling from our, our locations in Delaware. Awesome. Sounds great. I hope to make it up there myself someday. I know that Adam does too. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I've been to the brewery a couple of times, but it's been a few years for sure. I've never been. I want to go really badly. 
Yeah. Road trip, road trip. When we get when we get this this COVID thing figured out, come on down and see us. For real. For sure. Get a car first. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Thanks, Sam. This has been awesome. This yeah, has been fun, guys. Congrats on everything so far. Thank Thanks, you. Sam. You too. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of EOD Drinks. If you've enjoyed this program, please leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps other people discover the show. And tell your friends. We want as many people as possible listening to this amazing program. And now for the credits. End of Day Drinks is recorded live in New York City at VinePair's headquarters. And it is produced, edited, and engineered by VinePair Station Director, yes, he wears a lot of hats, Keith Beavers. I also want to give a special thanks to VinePair's co-founder, Josh Mallon, to the executive editor, Joanna Schiarino, to our senior editor, Kat Walensky, our senior staff writer, Tim McCurdy, and our associate editor, Katie Brown. And a special shout out to Danielle Greenberg, VinePair's art director who designed the sick logo for this program. The music for End of Day Drinks was produced, written, and recorded by Darby Seaside. I'm VinePair co-founder Adam Teeter, and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot.